Good morning, I'm Pastor Allen. Um, welcome, I'm glad that you're here. Uh, I'm not a warm weather person, so summer's starting to get to me, but uh, some of you love it, I know, so enjoy. <clears throat> uh, we're in a series about grace. If you've not been here, uh, this is our sixth of six. So this is, we're finishing up. All the other titles have been something by grace, like saved by grace. Today's topic's a little bit different. It's titled Commission for Grace. <clears throat> it's kind of uh, weird to think about, but I've been a pastor for almost 40 years. Uh, I've been preaching for longer than that. And I loved the local church. Started going to church when I was about 13 and loved it ever since. Um, but what I've discovered uh, over these years is, and this is on your outline, the church is the most appealing when the message of grace is the most apparent. So con consequently, it's the most effective when the message of grace is most apparent. And we think about church in general, it's not been, in my, my time frame, my last 40 years, it hasn't been very appealing or effective. So somehow we've lost the message of grace. Now when you ask people why don't they, they don't go to church, you usually don't get a theological answer. It's not that they hate God or, or, or whatever. It's just they got other stuff to do, other stuff they'd rather do, stuff that's more fun to do. Um, because people aren't really against God, and you see that like at Christmas and Easter, we call people, they come those two times, creasters. Uh, but they come because, you know, they still have a, a sense of uh, appreciation for God. But evidently when they come, they don't find anything that's compelling enough for them to come back until the next big holiday, right? And so people have other things to do. Uh, and we, inside the church, we usually think, well, they're just not committed. But it's not a commitment issue. And I put this on your outline, too. If the people aren't following, we're talking about following Jesus, well, they're not following Jesus, it's because someone's not leading them. And we're going to see that it's our responsibility to do that. So people are committed to all kinds of things, right? Uh, they're committed to sports, they're committed to uh, video games, they're committed to ladies, I, I struggle with ladies are committed to, I always say shopping, but that's not really a, <laughs> a good thing to put on your ladies. Some of you are committed to sports and activities and so forth. I, I'm a runner. Uh, but people don't come to church, think church is for what they would ca call church people, in which most of you would be. Uh, and if you're not a church person and you're here today, we're especially happy that you are, but uh, some of you like to fish, so you may go fishing on Sunday morning and you would be, call yourself a fish person. I'm a runner. I, I'd be a running, runner person. Some of you play golf. Some of you do other things, all right? The problem is for people that aren't church people, that think it's church is for church people, is the problem is they think that then Jesus is for church people. And unfortunately, the message of grace is for church people. And it couldn't be any farther from the truth. And we've looked in this series that Jesus hung out and ministered to and talked to the most unchurch type people possible. Whether it's a tax collector or a woman uh, that had six, five husbands and lived with another guy. <clears throat> so, church isn't, and we're going to see, isn't just for church people. But people outside the church get that impression. Now, uh, but when Jesus left, 
he made this statement, and it's recorded two different ways, once in Matthew and once in Acts. We're going to read it from Acts. And here's what I call the marching orders for the church people. All right? You will receive, meaning us, <laughs> Jesus followers, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be, not should be or may be, but you will be, this is what we're supposed to be doing, witnesses telling people about me. Now here it says, everywhere to the ends of the earth means that everyone, everywhere. Now the problem was, Jesus talked about the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, and his Jewish followers thought what? What did that mean? That he was going to set up an earthly kingdom, right? And they're waiting on Messiah to set up an earthly kingdom, get rid of the Romans, and uh, since they were Jesus' followers, they would be, be, had the inroads in, in this kingdom. <clears throat> but Jesus had a whole different idea. When he talked about the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, he was talking about what we would call today is the church. And he was establishing the church. And this was the orders he gave to the church. And the Jewish Christians thought it was about, about, about Judaism, it was about building up the Jewish kingdom. But he gave instructions to go everywhere to everyone, which would include, obviously, people that weren't Jewish. Plus, he had the solution that all religions struggle with. We talked, I think, about this last week. All religion has sets of rules and regulations and things you need to do to, 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 to God accept you or to God be pleased with you. The problem is, in all religion is, we all screw it up, right? None of us keep all the rules. So every religion has to have some kind of built-in system where you can get back in God's graces. And it's usually by doing this or by doing that. And it's seeped into Christianity. But in a series we've been talking about, it has nothing to do with doing this or not doing that. It has to do with the grace of God. So the church has a solution. And I put on your outline, if the church is God's primary vehicle for dispersing the message of grace that God wants to have a relationship with you and he's offering it to you free, no strings attached, then the local church is clearly not church. For church it's not for just for church people, it's for everyone. And somehow we have, we have to communicate that, but we, we haven't done a good job of that. And the, the church has lost its appeal. Uh, people love Jesus, people don't love the church, do they? Or church people in general. Uh, people nothing like Jesus like Jesus, Jesus like people nothing like him, <laughs> like the tax collectors and so forth. We'll see that in a minute. And uh, so this message, this good news, had become graceless. <clears throat> now the problem in the early church was this. They got off to a great start. But most of the early, early believers were uh, uh, Jewish descendants. And... Uh, and Judaism is, is in a sense, a set, uh, Christianity is a sect of Judaism because the Old Testament, we still accept that. We believe it's the same God, uh, that the Jesus that we worship. <clears throat> and so the early church, mostly Jewish Christians, saw Christianity, or the way, they called it, uh, as an extension of, of Judaism. And in some sense, it was. And so... As the church spread and people like Paul and Barnabas would go and talk to Gentiles and they would accept this message of grace, there became this conflict because the Jewish Christians were really uncomfortable. They found it offensive that these Gentiles wouldn't keep the, the Jewish laws. Uh, and one of them was to be circumcised. 
And some of them were dietary laws. And they didn't understand all about the Sabbath. And it just drove the Jewish Christians just crazy because these, these folks were kind of just out of control. <laughs> they, they didn't know what to do and how to act and so forth. <clears throat> so, the church, mostly Jewish Christians, came up with a solution. And it's kind of, kind of snowballs in Acts chapter 15. And so Paul and Barnabas started this big church in Antioch and mostly non-Jewish Christians. And uh, so the church back in Jerusalem sent some people to straighten them out, so to speak, okay? So we're going to start reading in Acts chapter 15. Paul and Barnabas, Barnabas were at Antioch. Some men from Judea arrived and began to teach the believers. So Paul and Barnabas have been teaching them. These Jewish, and they were, they were Jewish descendants too, descendants, but uh, these uh, Jewish Christians from Jerusalem began to teach them. Unless you are circumcised as required by the law of Moses, you, now notice this, you cannot be saved. Now to a Jewish Christian, this just made common sense. All Jews become, become a Jew, you had to be circumcised, right? <clears throat> the problem was, what's happened to grace? If you've got to be circumcised, then that's something you have to do to be connected to God, to be saved. So it's no longer grace, is it? Now today, we don't think about circumcision too much. We think churches teach you, you have to be baptized, for example, to be saved. Right? Catholic church, for example. Uh, other churches teach other things. You have to have a certain gift, or you have to go to church, or you have to read your Bible, you have to do this. There's all these add-ons, if you will. If you want to be saved, you've got to do, and you can fill it in, depending on what your church background is or what churches you know. Then consequently, it's not a gift, is it? It's not a free gift. Because, hey, especially for guys, this is a sacrifice, this is surgery, this is painful, right? <clears throat> so, the, the church in Antioch, the, the, the non-Jewish Christians, uh, weren't too happy about this. And so, there's this church council, the first church council is about this. And it meets in Jerusalem, and Paul and Barnabas go down to Jerusalem, and they tell the church about all these Gentiles, non-Jewish people getting saved, and they're all, they're all excited and delighted about that. <clears throat> and then Peter gets up to speak, and if you read the book of Acts, you know that Peter had this encounter, vision from God, straightening him out on his theology, saying it's not just for Jews, but it's for everyone. So Peter gets up and talks, and we'll look at a couple of things that he had to say. He says, he, meaning Jesus, made no distinction between us and them, for he cleansed their hearts through faith, meaning the Gentiles, non-Jews. So why are you now, talking to the Jewish Christians, why are you now challenging God? That's an interesting phrase, right? Why are you challenging God? You're, you're changing God the way God thinks, the way God wants to operate. And here's what they're doing. They're by burdening the Gentile believers with a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors were able to bear. So they had the law for over a thousand years and Jewish folks had struggled with it all along. The law wasn't to get you to God. What was the law for? The law was to say to you, you couldn't do it yourself, that you needed God's grace. But they tried. And he says, why? We, are, we don't even do this well. And we grew up this way. We've been doing this for a thousand years. And we would expect these people that have no background at all to try and do this, to follow these laws. This is crazy. This is a burden. Um, we didn't do it well. They're certainly not going to do it well. And then he 
sums it up. He says, we believe that we are all saved the same way. By the undeserved grace of the Lord Jesus. All right? So Peter is saying, hey, it's not about, you know, keeping these different rules. I summarize it this way. Peter knew that if you started shaving layers off of grace or adding things to grace, it's no longer grace. If you had circumcision or baptism or something else, it's no longer grace, is it? It's not a free gift. Well, Peter started out as the leader of the church, but by this time, evidently, James, the brother of Jesus, half-brother of Jesus, had become the church leader. He was the most respected guy in the church. So he gets up to speak next. And he quotes some verses from Amos, I believe it is. And then we have this one verse that I've shared with you before. I really love this verse. He said, and it is so, it is my judgment, I'm like the highest guy on earth in the church, it's my judgment that we should not make it difficult. Remember the law is going to be a burden. Not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. But even then and even to now, and we'll talk about it here in a few minutes, it's just hard to leave grace alone, isn't it? It's just not our nature. We, 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 we just know or feel that we, we've got to do stuff, all right? Uh, we want to earn it. We don't want to just accept this, this free gift. But Jesus wanted to make it as easy as possible. And we'd looked at these different stories, whether it's a tax collector or uh, 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 the woman at the well, He made it as easy as possible, didn't he? So if Jesus made it as easy as possible, and James is telling us we shouldn't make it difficult, then the church should not make it difficult, right? For people who are turning to God. Us, the church. Whether our church or church in general. We shouldn't make it difficult. So if you go back and read Acts chapter 15, um, they did give some instructions, and I believe this is for the sake of unity, all right? So they gave him some instructions. It wasn't about salvation, but it was about helping the Jewish believers and the non-Jewish believers to get along, all right? So here's, here's a summary of that, that church council. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden on you than these few requirements. So they're going to make some, some requests. And here it is. Abstain from eating food offered to idols and consuming blood and meat strangled animals. Now, to, to, to Jewish people, this was really, really, really offensive. It's a little strange to us today, but it was really offensive. So they're asking the Gentile Christians to make this sacrifice, this concession. It's not about salvation, but it's about the unity of the church to stop doing these things. The other thing was to, to abstain from sexual immorality. If you do this, we'll be happy. Farewell. So Paul and Barnabas take this message back to church in Antioch, and they're all delighted, especially the men, no surgery required, etc. okay? And so I put on your, on, on your outline this statement. Grace was saved in that church council, wasn't it? They, they, they didn't add anything uh, to salvation. Grace was saved just uh, temporarily anyway. And I really like this statement. Grace plus anything is anything but grace. Add anything to it, it's not grace anymore. Circumcision, baptism, church attendance, you know, (laughs) money in the offering. (laughs) Add anything else to it, it's no longer grace. Now, this has been a problem all through history. Uh, 
He raised his head in the second century. In the fourth century, when the Roman Empire adopted Christianity, then you got the, all, the whole mixture of the Roman Empire and Christianity and the government. And uh, uh, grace, it became a graceless religion. Uh, then in the uh, 10th century, the 11th century, the Crusades, the Pope told the Crusaders, if you go and fight the Crusades, all your sins are forgiven. Is that grace? Is that grace? You got to go fight. You go fight. And so they did horrible things. They, they raped and pillaged and killed people, but they felt they were fine. And if they died in the Crusades, they were going to go to heaven because they fought for the Pope. The 15th century, we have the, the Inquisition, Spanish in, mostly Spanish Inquisition, where people were accused of all kinds of things and, and, and tortured and killed. No grace there. Now, in the 16th century, Martin Luther comes along and he, and he tries to bring grace back to the church by faith alone. But you know what happened as a result of, of the, what we call the, the Reformation, the Protestant Reformation? Martin Luther and the other's goal was to reform the church, which would be the Catholic church. What happened was we got all kinds of denominations, right? So does that make it simple? Does that make it easy? In this church, you've got to do this to, to be saved. In this church, you've got to do this to be saved. Some other church, you've got to do this to be saved. And so Jesus' easy message of salvation by grace through faith gets so mixed up and confused and the church is no longer grace. It's no longer appealing. And it's consequently not very effective. So for the people who think that church is for church people, God's grace is for people people. Not just church people, right? It's for everyone. And so we try and make it a goal of our church, and we say it at, at announcement time, we want to be a church that the unchurched people love to attend because the unchurched people love Jesus and we're supposed to be like Jesus, right? Now, this is hard to do because most of us are church people. <laughs> and so we have to kind of rethink this and work on this and we have to fight that pull toward graceless religion, adding or taking away from grace, making other requirements instead of the, the simple message of its free Grace. Now, it's easy for me to get up here and talk about grace or for you to talk about grace. Easy to do, right? Fun to do. <clears throat> but what we need to develop is what I put on your outline, a community of grace. We have to model grace. People have to see grace. They have to feel grace. They have to experience grace. And that's our challenge as a, a, a church and a, as Jesus followers. <clears throat> now, go back to what Jesus said before he left, left this earth. The church has been assigned the task of exposing the world to the grace of God. This is on your outline. This is our responsibility. There is no plan B. We are it. Okay? If we don't do it, nobody's going to do it. God's not going to send angels. He could, but he's not going to. He gave these marching orders to the church. He says, I, Jesus said, I've demonstrated grace. I've died for you. I've resurrected for you. Now I want you to and if we don't do it, nobody does. And we haven't done a good job, the church as a whole. And I know the pushback. It just can't be that easy. You know, my, my buddy who's a drug addict or a drunk or, you know, is running around with all kind of women, women he, he can just say, yes, I accept the gift and he, he, he's good. 
We talked about the thief on the cross last week, right? Yeah. It's that easy. Now, I want to finish this series by recalling for most of you a story that's very familiar in the Bible. <clears throat> it's called a parable. Probably the most familiar parable. And uh, we call it, most of the time, the parable, parable of the prodigal son, right? That's what we call it. The problem is it's not a parable about one son. It's a parable or story about two sons. And it's really interesting if you go back and read, this is in Luke chapter 15, why Jesus told these, actually three stories, a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. Why do you tell these three stories? And so I want, to, I want us to read the first two verses of Luke chapter 15 to, to, to see the context, what's going on, and why Jesus was telling these stories. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus' teaching. Uh, it would be great if we had a bunch of people sitting in here listening to me teach, but it doesn't happen, does it? But they came to hear Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law, that's the, the churchy people, religious people, they complained that he was associating with sinful people. How would he dare do that? Get their cooties, you know, make them unclean. Even eating with them, that was the worst thing possible, that they would actually eat with these people. <clears throat> so that's, that's the situation. So in response to this reaction from these religious leaders, Jesus tells these three stories. And of course, the prodigal son story is, is, the, is the, the pinnacle, and it should be called the parable of the two sons, at least. And so the youngest son, he says, uh, Dad, I hate you. I want to get out of here. I wish you were dead. If you were dead, I'd get my inheritance. So why don't you give me a inheritance now? And the dad does it. So he goes off and we don't know how long, where he goes, but he, he spends all this inheritance. Before long, he's destitute. And his life is really, really, he's at, he's at rock bottom. And the kind of the climax of the story is he comes to his senses and thinks, wow, my, the servants in my father's house live better lives than I am. I'll go home and I'll tell my father that I've sinned against heaven and against him and I, I don't deserve to be your son anymore, but would you please hire me as a servant? That was his plan. <clears throat> so he goes back home. Dad sees him coming. He runs and greets him, gives him a big hug, and he tells the servants, let's have a party. Now, <clears throat> the youngest son is uncomfortable with this, this, this whole scenario. He doesn't feel that he deserves to be his dad's son anymore, and we would probably agree. But he certainly doesn't deserve to have a party in his name, right? And so he resists this idea. And we can understand this. If you're there, what are you going to think? What am I thinking? Well, you know, he needs to prove himself a little bit, right? See if he's really changed. You know, if you've had a friend that's been in rehab or something, when they come back, you're really not quite sure how, if you can trust them or not if they're going to stay clean, right? Well, this is kind of the attitude we, most of us would have. In fact, his older brother has this attitude, right? And the older brother resists this party. He won't go to the party because his, his brother doesn't deserve it, right? So the younger, the, the younger brother 
doesn't want to go because he doesn't, he's screwed up. He doesn't think he deserves it. The older brother doesn't want to go and celebrate because he doesn't think his younger brother deserves it. Now the, the father's confused because he's throwing a party and neither of his sons wants to come. Now the confusion is this. Both sons believe that the party should be based on what? Merit. Behavior, right? What you do or don't do. So the younger son doesn't deserve it because of what he, he's done. Disrespected his father, etc. Uh, the, the older son doesn't want to go because he thinks he deserves a party. He never got one. So the father tells us why he's celebrating. It's in verse 32. We have to celebrate this happy day. For your brother, he's talking to the older brother, your, young, your, younger, your younger brother was dead and he's come back to life. Was he literally dead? No. But his relationship with his father was dead, right? It, it ceased to exist. He was lost or lost to me as his father, but now he's found. Our relationship has been restored. So this is what I put on the outline. This is, this is the key to the story. God celebrates, first and foremost, restored relationships. It's not about rehabilitation. Have you changed? It'd be nice if you have. It'd be good if you had. But it's not about that. It's about restored relationship. And that's what grace is. God wants to restore his relationship with you and with me. And he's done everything to make that possible. <laughs> Jesus died for us took care of that barrier, and if we accept this gift, we're back in relationship, and we can celebrate. <clears throat> so there's a third story. We always think about the, 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 the prodigal son story, or even the second son story. A better title of this parable to me is the gracious father story, because he's really the key to the story, isn't he? It's about him, not about us. So in God's story, even though it's about him, you and I are the focus of the celebration, not what we've done. You. Because God wants to have a relationship with you. And the reason God loves you is not because of what you've done or what you haven't done or what you shouldn't do. That's not why God loves you. And God wants to have a relationship with you. And we say it this way usually. God's never going to love you any more than he does right now. He's never going to love you any less than he do right now. So it's not based on behavior. So grace, we could talk about it forever. That's the end of the series. If you missed some, you can catch, it up, catch up on it. Uh, I'm really excited about our next series. I'm always excited about the next series, right? So a little preview video, and then uh, we'll have a song and let you go. <clears throat>
ready to hear the common experiences shared by thousands of near-death survivors, doctors, college professors, bank presidents, people of all ages and cultures, even the blind, can point to the exhilarating picture of heaven as promised in the Bible. Series based on a book by the same name, and it's really fascinating. We're going to try and combine scientific research with the Bible. And so there's all these folks, thousands of folks that have had these near-death experiences, and we're going to compare that with the Bible says about the afterlife. And this is something everybody's interested in, so it's a good time to invite your friends, neighbors uh, to church. Um, so we're excited about that. So let's pray, and we'll have a song let you go. <clears throat> Father God, thank you. We thank you for grace, amazing grace, undeserved favor. And none of us want what we deserve. And we thank you that you offer us so much more. Uh, God, I pray for anyone here that's still struggling with this grace thing, whether they're a Jesus follower and struggling with grace and tend to be judgmental, they've let that go. If they're not a Jesus follower, they'd step across that line and Jesus made us as easy as possible. He wants a relationship with you. If he wants to love on you, if you will just let him. And then God, we're excited about uh, what we're talking about in the coming weeks and the, the, the realization that uh, this is just beginning, life here, and that we're made for eternity, and it's going to be just beyond our imagination. And we thank you for uh, the glimpses we have, and we look forward to uh, uh, understanding better. We thank you in Jesus' name.